you know, I am going to wave my hands a lot. They're going to do this round circular motion. But if you're having a terrible day, don't do it. But also show them how they can communicate to everyone. Everyone. Join me and Tyler as we are making conversations about public speaking count. We're joined today by Tyler Foley, and he started his career at a very tender age. You could count the years on one hand, but he's turned that childhood experience into a lifelong career. And so many of us dream of getting onto the stage. But once you get that call, what do you do when your wish is granted? Even I know as a training speaker standing in front of people that you've never met is quite nerve wracking. And the pressure doubles when you're looking not just to entertain, but also to educate. So I totally get where Tyler's coming from today. Let's go and meet him now. Just looked up your IMDB. <laughs> How's that for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm just surprised that you are a good and all round, you know, sort of sane individual having been on, you know, Freddy versus Jason. I was like, oh, yeah. I was like that. Oh, can't look. <laughs> Well, so the funny thing is, is that like almost everybody gravitates to that production like you were in freddy versus jason i'm like let me tell you i've not seen it (laughs) how very little i am in freddy versus jason like blink and you miss me and yet so many people actually know the scene when i explain it and the people who have seen the movie they're like i know exactly who oh yeah i am cab counselor i'm like you don't know and they're like no and he does the thing and and then you turn and i'm like oh you do know how do you know? I am so much nothing in that film. The, the the funny thing is I got that role because I was actually doing photo double stand-in and stunt work on that movie. And they they needed somebody who could do this thing last minute. And, Just and went, literally put that broom down. <laughs> yeah. yeah almost like that. If, so no word of a lie for like three weeks prior to it, I was doing um, stand-in work. And most stand-in work, you just kind of sit in your chair off screen and just kind of wait and watch the actors do their thing. And I was doing almost nothing. I was literally sleeping on set. And (laughs) Annette wants to talk to you. That's extras casting, by the way. That's not main casting. That's extras casting. And I was like, oh. And I thought I was about to get fired because I was sleeping on set. And because she'd come to set. And Annette never comes to set. And I was like, oh, and so, you know, I'm like, up, and I'm like, hi. And she's like, hey, and I'm like, you're remarkably cheery. What's going on? Because I'm still in a sleep haze. And she's like, hey, uh, do you want to do you want to do a speaking role? I'm like, your extras. Ca- uh, sure. I'm confused right now. And then she explained what was going on. And I was like, OK, sure. Let's do this thing. Why not? <laughs> well, two lines, two lines. Two lines. 
Well, you see, I just thought I'd have a look and see, because I know you'd said, you know, you'd done childhood acting. And, yeah. and I thought, I'll go and have a look. And I've been playing around and the podcast is on IMDb. So mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I can credit him now. That's cool. Oh, that's it? awesome. Fast forward 20 years to the grown-up job that you're doing now then, Tyler, is... <laughs> <laughs> I'm an adult babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> you're the manny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So just for the sake of the listeners, tell us what you do now. I wear many hats, primarily... I am now a best-selling author and speaker coach. So I train people on how to give better presentations, feel more confident speaking to groups of people. And then I also run a safety consulting company. And you would think the two would be wildly uh, disparate, that they, they just don't blend. But I actually got into the safety speaking, or the, more specifically, the public speaking speaker training from my safety consulting practice because I found that the biggest hindrance to leadership being able to communicate their safety program and implement it. And and in fact, the reason that my company is called Total Buy-In is because the reason people couldn't get buy-in was they had a very poor way of communicating. And most people struggle with this public speaking persona. So I, my most popular training course was actually my Power to Speak Naked course, which was rebranded to the Power to Speak Naked just to have a little bit more pop and sizzle. <laughs> you know, not ri- in my mirror. <laughs> not in my mirror. Well, because originally it was called Basic Instructional Technique. And because I liked the acronym, it was BIT. You know, I'm going to give you a BIT. And, uh, and that's not And enough. it was basically... <laughs> no, it's not enough. And it was, and the funny thing is, is it was, it, you know, it was a, a way to like trick people into learning how to public speak without thinking they were going to public speak. But I found that a lot of people felt ambushed by it because when they realized that that two days was going to be public speaking and only public speaking, they were like, I don't public speak. And I'm like, actually, you do. And so, the, yeah, the safety consultant kind of morphed into this public speaker training, which has really brought my life full circle, right? You and I have talked about this offline you know you go from child actor to retiring at, after 20 years because you get to do that you know so i got to retire at 25 go back to school get an engineering discipline start my own business watch that business crumble and fail and then start to find my path in safety like and that was a weird detour too you know becoming a safety professional after being a geomatics professional just because I had to take all this training to run my geomatics company to be compliant with the government. And like all of those little twists and turns have brought me to this culmination of being able to A, speak to executives on their level in a very sympathetic and understanding way, but also show them how they can communicate to everyone and vary their message and train them to be more effective communicators has just been bizarre and remarkably rewarding. (laughs) I don't know about you, Tyler, but don't you find it fascinating that really it boils down to we're all in sales? Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter what it is that you're talking about. You've just got to find that something that you are happy and passionate to communicate about. Yeah, no, we're all selling something. And I think that's the thing that I, I 
really was a light bulb moment for me when I was explaining safety because I'd heard it all the time, right? Like you're as a safety professional, your job is to sell safety. And I'm like, is it though? And, and you know, in my head, I was like, nah, but really it's about communicating. And then I'm like, well, communi- sales is communication. And so, yes, we are all selling something, even if it's, if it's a belief in ourselves, right? We need to communicate that vision of us so that other people can buy into that vision of us. And I find it amazing that that's, that's kind of what the world boils down to is we're all selling something. And the first lesson we have to buy into, I'm going to stay on brand, no, is the belief in ourselves, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's that's the yeah. first lesson. And when it comes to anything at all, then, you know, it doesn't matter. And, and I have this conversation with many a guest is that we all think we're selling an outcome. Yet mm-hmm. in actual fact, what we want to feel is the transformation. So we want that's what we're buying into, isn't it? Is the, oh, well, you can do this, but that's going to mean this as well. So often it's the byproducts that we want more than the thing. Yeah. And it's, you know, I was, it's funny. I was reading an article yesterday, you know, about good presentations and everybody thinks they need to sell the benefits and features. And the reality is you need to sell the solution. And a lot of times that solution comes with identifying what the problem is to begin with. And, you know, how for a lot of us, the problem is our own lack of belief in our own abilities. And so the first person that we need to sell to is ourselves. Like what, what makes you capable of doing that? And I know like for me, you know, I've spoken on stage to, you know, tens of thousands of people. I've performed to auditoriums of thousands of people. I have in my band played to an outdoor venue that was almost hundreds of thousands of people. I think that that when we played our venue, there was 90,000 people. And like that, you know, everybody looks at me and goes, well, aren't you scared? I'm like, well, at that point, no, I, I wasn't scared of that. But let me tell you something that does terrify me sitting in a executive's office who earns millions of dollars every year and telling them that they're really bad at public speaking <laughs> and helping them get there because I, that, you know, you want to talk about an inferiority complex. I'm like, who am I to be coaching this person? And they're looking at me going, how did this, how does he get up on stage every day and, and not feel terrified? Yeah. Cause values you know, I are, can't are, do that. Are, are disproportionate, aren't they in terms of exactly. comparison? Exactly. Hmm. And that, that's the thing is as soon as we recognize that we are all people and we all struggle with, you know, some of these self-doubts that we all struggle with self-doubt it's just what are we doubting in that in that time and for me it's been remarkably freeing to be able to recognize that i have this skill set you know this is the thing that i'm good at and (laughs) lucky for me it only took 42 years to get to this point (laughs) so you know because there are people who don't know what they're what they're good at for years and years and years and years they spend all this time chasing the tiger tail and it just doesn't, they never catch it. And for me, I, I'm, I feel really, really blessed that I've been able to 
mash up all of my strengths and be able to compensate for my areas of improvement by outsourcing to people who do it way better than me. You know, like I am, I'm not a good businessman and, and which is hilarious because I technically own three companies now and will be starting a fourth one this year. <laughs> yeah. I don't, apparently I'm a masochist as well. So, but I, I recognize, you know, reference. I, yeah, the <laughs> reference. I, I, I recognize where I am, you know, where my strengths are and that is being able to give very clear direction, communicate an idea and allow then people to go on their own. I'm, I'm very good at marshalling and connecting people. And then I have this really good skill set of being able to stand up on stage and just engage a crowd. And that has allowed me to do some really, really amazing things with my life and, and have just a really fun lifestyle too. Like I get to travel with my daughter. That's cool. And that's really, really, really fun for me. And, and a high value on my hierarchy too is, is family. So to be able to bring her and have her a part of what I do to be able to, you know, book vacations with the whole family around a speaking schedule and tour and make it a paid vacation. Like all those things are just really fun. What would you say? Okay. To double barrel question. What mm -hmm. would you say your favorite trip with her has been? And what would you say her favorite trip with you has been? You know, it's funny. You'd think it was going to Houston, but I actually think her favorite trip with me was when we went to the houseboat with my brother and sister-in-law that we, and the, and the fact that I had the time to do that, I think that's the other thing too. My wife was in Ireland and it was a long weekend here in Canada, like September long weekend, I believe. Everybody else was going back to school, but Kenzie at that time would have been four. And so she didn't have school. And I had Jen and I, my wife and I had basically <laughs> swapped Kenzie at the airport. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was coming back from a speaking engagement and Jen was flying out to Ireland. And I think we, we, it, we didn't quite do the handoff at the airport, but it was, it was, it was pretty close. close. There's like a day overlap. And my sister-in-law phoned me and she said, Hey, we, we've got the boat for the weekend for or actually for the week. Did you want to join us? And I had, I had nothing on the go. And so I looked at Kenzie. I'm like, do you want to go hang out at the lake? She's like, sure. And we packed up all the floaty stuff and we went out to the houseboat and nobody else could make it because everybody else had things that were starting because it was the end of September. And so we basically toured around with Captain Jim and found a private beach and docked the boat and floated around the lake for, you know, four or five days. And Kenzie had an absolute blast. Like she was, she was uncovering rocks. She was going for hikes she was swimming the, and the houseboat had a, a water slide off the back of it. So she was like terrified to go off the water slide until daddy took her the one time. And then she was still terrified to go off it, but then she wanted to do it again. And like just all the things, like she still talks about it uh, to this day, to the point where we ended up going uh, houseboating again with Jen the following year. And she's like, 
I thought this was going to be more fun. You you made it sound like it was more fun. I was like, I don't know what to tell you, babe. This is this is basically what we did the last time. This, this is a lot of fun for us. She's like, nah, this is not my thing. I was like, okay. But isn't it interesting because what Kenzie's done really is she, she's she's overcome some fears as well, and she's done that with dad holding a hand. Yeah, well, and she but she does that a lot too. <laughs> Unfortunately, my daughter is the child of a former child actor. And I know the industry inside and out. So when I saw my daughter, you know, for the first time, I'm like, oh, wow, you look like an alien. And then about a week <laughs> later, she stopped looking like an alien. It was just absolutely adorable. And then so my next thought was like, you need to be in film. <laughs> and, <laughs> and everything in me was like, but but your daddy can't be a stage daddy. No, no, no. She was in her first commercial before she was a year old. The first time she was on film, she was 11 months old. And I think she got her first modeling gig at like, she was coming up 22 months. Like she was, she wasn't yet two. that modeling gig photo is the cover of my, my cell phone because I just, I absolutely love it. She's just, you know, I, I, they captured an innocence about my child that I just, I can't even replicate or duplicate because I see the terror that she is when I try to put her to bed, but she's so adorable. <laughs> yeah, and then you can't control this, what she dreams no. about either Tyler. But you know, I've, I've watched her grow up in film and be able to communicate to me too. Like COVID was really hard on her because she really enjoyed auditions prior to COVID because it meant that she got to go and see other kids and, and in the audition room, they always had, toys and she got to meet people and be social. My daughter is very, very social. And then when she got to go into the casting session, daddy couldn't come. Mm. It was just her and the casting director. Daddy had to wait outside. And then she got to go and she got to play. And then if she got the role, she got to go on set and I could come with her, but she got to be on camera and daddy didn't except for the couple of times where we've gotten to do things together, which has been super fun too. And then when COVID came and we switched from casting in person to casting virtually and doing self tapes. She hated it because casting was no longer getting dressed up and getting pretty and memorizing lines in the car ride to the, you know, running rehearsing lines in the car ride to the audition. All the anticipation though, in the buildup and the, and and the interaction of it all. Yes. Cause now it was coming down into the basement and reading with daddy. Again, and I'm so proud of my daughter because about the fifth audition into it, she was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm like, but baby, you love being on set. She's like, yeah, but I don't need to be on set if it means I have to go down to the basement and audition. And I was like, oh, you are so mature for five. I love you. You know, like it was I was so proud. But, you know, she's overcoming those fears and finding her voice, which I shouldn't be surprised because I dedicated my book to her and said that very thing. <laughs> I was like, may you always have the courage to find your voice and know that you will be heard. <laughs> so if I'm going to say that in the book, if I'm going to put it in writing, I'm going to put it out to the universe. Obviously she's going to be able to do that. I think it's fascinating that there are parents out there that, that do do this, you know, put onto their children, their d- dreams that that sort of didn't happen and one thing or another and and you're not describing a child who doesn't have a mind of her own <laughs> which is yep. great yes so have you got any plans to bring her on stage with you at a speaking gig do you think she would um, handle that 
I, oh, would she handle it? Absolutely. Will I do it? Meh, if she wants to. Like, honestly, we do the things that she wants to do. Like, she, you know, if I, if I mm, was a stage dad, I'd be like, no, 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 you've got to audition because you know, this is paying for your education. <laughs> so, you know, because that's how I paid for my education. I, you, know, you start acting at six years old and 75% of your earnings go into a trust that, that, that builds up quickly, especially if you have good financial management with it. So was I sad a little bit? when she stopped wanting to do it. Yeah, I was. Cause mm. I see how much she enjoys it. And I was sad that it was, it was ruined for, her. but it, you know, she also asked me a couple of weeks ago, she's like, daddy over the summer, can I start auditioning again? Sure. You don't have school. If that's what you want to do, we'll do it. It's a double-edged sword, isn't it, Tyler? Because she's clearly, there are two sides to this. She's missed the auditioning, but she's also missed her thing with daddy. There's got yeah. to be an element of that as well. Yeah, I think that that has a bit to it too. And so to your uh, original question, would I bring her on stage? Absolutely, because she loves that environment the same way that I do. But I would I would only bring her on, first of all, if it served a purpose, because that's the other thing too. For me, I don't do anything on stage unless it serves a purpose and more specifically if it serves the audience if it isn't going to be a benefit to my audience i'm not going to bring my kid on stage just as a gimmick you know is she super cute yeah could i sell more programs if i put her up there absolutely i could because that kid he, he, you don't want to deny this child something so buy daddy's program and it would sell but i'm not going hey i'm not going to exploit my daughter that way no and, but it, uh, look if i was in the audience and she came on stage and it was like you know the audience could ask her anything i would just say how much has daddy paid you to do this? You know, and, <laughs> and I can just imagine her going, oh, no, you know, I, I, I asked, right? Now, yeah. if you imagine, that's the, the kind of endorsement, isn't it, that yeah. anybody would really want as, as, as a parent or for, for any kind of fan, doesn't, you know, the fact that it's such a personal relationship just kind of strengthens that for me. So I, I just think oh, th there could be something in this. I can see this going somewhere. You're right. It is It is a testament to her free will and the fact that my training works because she would want to do it as opposed to not want to do it. But I, I you know, I don't know. I don't know what next month holds. I, I don't even know what the next hour holds. So I don't know what her wants and desires are going to be as she grows up. And she kind of ebbs and flows out of, a want for the spotlight. She's really, truly, you know, they say that a, a child is a reflection of, of, of their parents and she is my wife and I are, are truly polar opposites. We are a yin and yang right now. Do you want to talk the astrology? You know, I'm, you're the ram. She's, you're the ox. Like we are literally Ooh, six years Ooh. apart. So and then, on, well, no. So, so she's not a she's not a Taurus. She's, I believe, a Pisces. So she's a water oh, sign, and I'm a fire yeah. sign, right? Oh, uh, so she put you out. Oh, can she ever? <laughs> but at the same time, we really complement each other because she's always allowing me, and and in fact, encouraging flow. me to take the spotlight. And yeah. I'm always encouraging of her if she wants to step behind. Like she loves being the puppet master, like my wife, it, first of all, she's a project manager. She loves to pull the strings from backstage, right? Like she is the ultimate wizard of Oz. 
you know, just don't look behind the curtain. Don't ask how the magic is done, but know that it's going to happen and, and it will work. But just don't. We all look, need a bit more of a, that kind of lesson. Yeah. yeah. Do not pay attention to the man behind the curtain. And she's, you know, she's brilliant. So I look at my daughter and when, and when my daughter is being very, like you can see her thinking through a problem and she's very calculated with it. Like, and her daddy is not that way. Like I am, I am one of those solve it through a repeated trial and error. And Jen is very methodical in the let's not err. <laughs> let's, let's get it right the first time. So she thinks through the steps where I'm like, well, let's, let's place the cog here. And if it doesn't work round peg, square hole doesn't work. Okay. Round pegs, triangle hole. Nope. Still doesn't work round. Peg. Oh, look, there's a round hole. Let's stick it through there. Like I will, I will try different options and Jen tries to do the right solution the first time. And it's interesting watching Kenzie blend that and find her, her own way, her own path and her own voice. There's nothing more magical is there than being a parent and seeing what you influence every day and oh, yeah. don't realize <laughs> what leaks <laughs> yeah yeah it's amazing too yeah because like she'll do things and you're like oh i'm so proud of you oh and then she'll do things and i'm like oh do not do that and then i go oh but i would have done that like even <laughs> even the way that my daughter it, it it's a sheer mirror right children are mirrors of ourselves and i watch her get frustrated right now and I hear me in her response where she'll go, oh, <laughs> like it even sounds like me. And creepishly, she looks like me when she does it. Right. And when she gets really upset, like, like deeply hurt by society, she looks like her mom, like the way that you can see her process the hurt and why would, why would that happen? You know? And and I see her mom in her instantly. And, and it's amazing how she has become this mirror to us and patterns our behavior. So there's things that she does and I'm like, oh yeah, just like me. And then there's things that she does and I go, oh, that's just like me. <laughs> yeah, mannerisms. Mm. It's a big topic. Mannerisms kind of bleeds out in body language, doesn't it, as well, when you're on stage and and I've seen lots of different tips for what to do. People just don't know what to do with their hands, do they? You know, it's like oh well, but it's it's flap not around just hands, yeah, hands, feet. And here's the thing, because there are people who will be told, you know, keep still, and you're like, then you're unnaturally mannequin, and and then people are like, don't pace, which really don't pace. But there are times where walking and movement is necessary. And people are like, well, keep your hands still or use your hands, but don't use your hands too much, but find the thing. And then you, you, you know, it's, there is no uh, magic bullet or one answer. What it is, is, and you and I've had this conversation offline. So let's say it for your listeners online, you know, authenticity is synonymous with self-awareness. If you want to be a truly authentic presenter, you need to know who you are at your core. I am a hand talker. Mm -hmm. I am a very large personality. I'm going to express myself with my hands, with my body, with my face. I I'm expressive, but I'm not using one thing, right? Like the, what president was it? Was it, I think it was Bush senior had his thumb, right? He, this was how he would deliver. And the hammer um, blow. 
the hammer blow. Yeah. And you know, like everybody has that, that one thing. I think Bob Dole did it too. No, it was, it wasn't the president. It was Bob Dole had the thumb. Bob Dole is what Bob Dole is going to do. And, you know, but, and it never went away. This was the only gesture that happened from the podium. That's when it becomes a mockery where for me, you know, I am going to wave my hands a lot. They're going to do this round circular motion, but I'm also going to, you know, accentuate a thing, or I'm going to point to a thing, or I'm going to use a broad, wide gesture. When it's appropriate, I'm going to use my body to express itself. One of the challenges that I always give to any one of my clients is, you know, stand still for the first 60 seconds of your talk, just to see how unnatural it feels. But at the same time, that it makes you hyper aware of why you want to move. Because sometimes you're moving, moving to dissipate nervous energy and that's pacing that's nervous pacing and that's distracting to an audience and it's taking away from your message but sometimes you need to move because your body needs to move and if you suppress that instinct because somebody told you you need to be still you need to keep your hands still you need to then you become this weird robotic mannequin mime you know where like everything is frozen and still and And you're not on Zoom. (laughs) And you're not on Zoom. Yeah. There is time for movement and it's finding. And again, this is from my theatrical background. When we would do blocking, there is there is time for movement and there is time for stillness. Both have their ability to enhance the dialogue that is being delivered. Both have the ability to detract from the dialogue that is being delivered. And the key is learning when is the right time for both. Mm. It's a lot, it's a lot like it depends. Well, like anything in life, right? When is it appropriate to do anything? (laughs) It depends on the circumstances in which you're doing it. Yeah. I think this is why I like speaking to people like you, Tyler, that have got this fluid approach There are frameworks that you can follow and there are best practices that you can have and key do's and don'ts that isn't necessarily going to affect the it depends side of things. But it's going deeper into that intuition, isn't it, of your craft in what it is that you do. You know, you can't even see my hands. I'm doing this going deeper yeah. into your craft you know i'm needing bread <laughs> yeah you and, and but and as you need the bread you know using the hands to point the arrow and show the flow like yeah. it's an illustrative thing we all are going to do it naturally and the thing is is you can it's funny because if people are just listening to the audio right they're listening to making conversations counts and they're like they're all they have is the audio they can still hear that movement absolutely Like if you don't do it, your voice sounds different. You need that movement and it translates. If you were, if you were to do your podcast the next time sitting on your hands and never move, people would be like, what, what's going on? Why is this, why, what is wrong with this episode? They wouldn't know, right? They couldn't see, but they would feel that it was just a little off. I was actually, I was watching um, an unbelievable interview between two of my favorite comics, Whitney Cummings and Taylor Tomlinson. And it was right at the beginning 
of the pandemic. Like it was like a few months in and, and somehow they were able to, to record live. They'd done like an isolation thing and they'd like in the conversation, Taylor was talking about how she had just recorded her first special and, you know, some of the things that she did to get with, and cause, and they were talking about insecurities and, and being a woman in comedy and, and, and some things that, you know, the men don't have to think about. And she was talking about just prior when she was promoting the special, she was on the tonight show and the makeup artist said, why don't you leave your hair down? You know, you look, you're so pretty. Why don't we just leave your hair down? And Taylor always ties her hair back because that's where she feels comfortable. And she does a lot of, she's very animated when she tells her story. She reenacts a lot of the stuff and she bends over a lot. You know, she'll, she takes physicalities in when she's doing her storytelling, which is by the way, fantastic thing to do when you want to tell a story. Mm. And she was talking about how she left her hair down and it threw her because comedy is very much like sports where, you know, the, when you're at the top of your game, it, you're at the top of your game because you can do things in repetition and her hair being loose threw her off. And then Whitney Cummings was talking about how she had done a similar thing when she was filming her HBO special and left her hair down. And normally she keeps it back and she had, you know, lip gloss and her hair kept getting stuck in the lip gloss and it threw her. She's like, it's not that it was a bad set. It's that it wasn't the best set that it could be. Mm. And it's recognizing what are those things that are comfortable for us? What are those things that ground us? What are those things that illustrate the story so that we can tell the story better so that we're not in our head that we are connected in with our body and subsequently connected with our audience. Cause ultimately it's about the audience. Yeah. How do we give ourselves the best chance to connect with our audience? And that is to be out of our head. So I was fascinated by watching this interview at how much I related to it. Like I have my pre-talk routine that I have to do, you know, there's the, there's the long version of it. There's the nice to haves, right? Like I like it when I can walk through a venue and I can touch things. I like when I can meet with the audience prior to it and do a little bit of pre-audience analysis, but my must have, I have to have my five minutes backstage. I have to do my breathing exercises. I have to get my glass of water in before I go on stage. I absolutely positively have to do my visualizations. If I don't do those things, I feel off each time. So it's finding those things that are going to serve you so that you can serve your audience. And a lot of people would call those rituals, but they're not, are they? It is about setting yourself up for that, that what's to come. Yeah. And, and I mean, there is a form of ritual to it in that it's repeatable, you know, so, it, you know, whether it's rich, whether you call it ritual or whether you call it routine. Oh, come on. You, habit. You, you know, I've spoken to Brad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> but he had a point. But yeah, no, he does have a point and he's made a very good point of using that terminology to, to serve to serve people. And that's that's yeah. the point, isn't it? It's, it's got yeah. a, and it's clearly it serves you by doing things in a certain way and getting pre- prepared. And just sort of going back to your point about the movement of things and an audio and the, the way that you can feel that. 
I can categorically tell you that after two million or something telephone calls, that if you're having a bad day and you put, you know, they say smile when you dial and it does help and it it helps your posture and everything, right? But -hmm. if you're having a terrible day, don't do it because people can hear that still, even when you've just made that extra effort. So, gosh, yeah, body language, because that hearing tool that we have is so finely tuned when it's the only thing we have oh yeah especially when it's the only thing we have you know like the you look at anybody who has any form of sensory deprivation and then you have those heightened senses when you can only rely on the audio it's amazing the cues that you can pick up on you know, and as you said, our brain is finely tuned to it. Like we know, you know, when somebody is smiling on the phone, you know, when they're having a bad day and then, and it's, and it goes the other way too. Like sometime, you know, I, I've, I've talked to people about this with, with energy work. We know when there's been a fight in a room, even if we've never witnessed the fight, you know what I mean? You've walked into that room and people were like, Oh, why, what is with that? And you're like, and you you become hypersensitive and aware of, you know, you're a little walking on eggshells a little bit because what did I just walk into? You didn't witness the fight. There was nothing you didn't see. No. You don't know, but you know that something went on. And, and, you know, we as human beings have a far better connection with each other than I think we give ourselves credit for. It's that invisible signature, isn't it, that is left behind, which is uh, quite something. Well, and not only that's left behind, but that leads in front. Like I have a magnetic field that travels around me and that's leading my actions and it's being left behind. And we all, we, we, we literally do. Like we're, we are, humans are basically big batteries. <laughs> we have electromagnetic pulses running through us. That's how our body actually stays alive. When those electrical pulses stop, so does everything else because the electrical pulses are what runs your brain and your heart. <laughs> so when the electricity in your body stops, when your battery gets drained, that's when the body stops working. And anybody who's done any kind of 10th grade physics knows that if you run an electrical current through something, there is an electromagnetic wave that comes from that. And we can, that's, I mean, that's how half of modern science measures the body is through, you know, EKGs and, and your the CAT scans and all the rest of it. All they're looking at is ele- electrical pulses through your, through your various organs. And if you have this el- electrical field around you, it's just, it's just a magnetic field, but like anything you have electrons then that are moving through the air in front of you and you have electrons that are moving through the air behind you and you are literally affecting your environment beyond your actual physicality and what you do with that and the energy that you're putting out because you're literally putting out energy is what is going to be felt and so you got to remember you are leading with energy just as much as you're leaving energy behind Mm. that's deep and it 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 warrants part two Let's do part two, Wendy. <laughs> let's do part two. Yeah. So, and it also leads me into, let's keep these listeners awake as well. Let's yes. fire back up those neurons. and get Let's, let's get those synapses firing, folks. Come on. Let's no. make this conversation count. 
We're going to carry on that conversation in just a moment. But first, let me tell you about my Power Up programme. An hour and a half with me and accountability later. It's by no means ever going to fix everything. But what it will do is it will allow us to find one area that's a key priority for you to implement straight away into your business and allow you to just see the other areas that you need work on. It's a great stepping stone into the 12-week building block programme. Just book a chinwag, let's have a natter and let's see how I can help you. want to know the conversation that counted for you Tyler oh I've had so many but when you said it the first one that popped to mind was the conversation I had with my doctor mentor and father figure growing up Dr. Bob Corbett I had a medical incident when I was 17 that left the left side of my body paralyzed and I distinctly remember about a month and a half afterwards, being in his office, crying because my face didn't work. My body didn't work. My acting career was over and being so frustrated with Western medicine. You know, here, here we are in the 21st century and they can't diagnose what happened to me. Was it a stroke? Was it a Bell's palsy? Was it a mini stroke? Was it, what did somebody say I had? Oh, I can't even remember. It just seemed so bizarre and it didn't even sound like a thing that could happen. A full body, I don't even remember. Anyway, they, you know, nobody could tell me what it was. And, And Bob sat me down. He said, think of the blessing that is. I said, how is not knowing what the hell happened to me a blessing, sir. And he went, if you'd had a diagnosis, there would be one course of treatment, which may or may not work. You had a stroke. There's nothing we can do. But we don't know what you had. So now we have the freedom to try anything. And if you can try anything, anything could work. In fact, Everything could work. So let's start trying things and see what works. And then he, you know, he quoted Edison. Edison didn't find a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. Oh. Right. And he, and he, you know, until he found the one that did. And, and he, you know, Bob has been a steady oarsman for me in in my life. And what I, what I appreciate the most about him, he really is an oarsman. He allows me to captain my ship. What's the course that we want to set captain, but he will be steady at the hand. If I tell him we're, you know, due West, he will say very well, due West. He'll look at me and he says, you understand that that looks like it could very possibly be bad weather. I'll say, yes. He goes, okay, let's weather this storm. Then, you know, we'll batten down the hatches and I will keep this boat due west and i i have always been in great admiration of him and i've tried to pattern and emulate him as best i can in that 
you know, he was, he was one of the first people to teach me too. like, I don't believe in finding the positive in life, especially. Is the glass just never big enough? It's not even that. What it is, is that like my father passed away at six. I don't think that was a positive. I'm not going to be like, Hey, dad died. Good for that. You know, no, it was just not a positive. But what I do look for is the grace in situations. There is mm-hmm. grace in everything. My father passing away created an opportunity for me to have multiple father figures in my life. At least, at least 10. Bob being one of them. You know, my medical incident gave me a chance to reframe and refocus what was important to me really crystallize friendships because I had incredible friend support when that happened, you know, and, and in high school, that's rare too, right? Like I was, I was the freak. I had a face that didn't work. I, it, the, the worst that my friends did was they'd make me laugh because I made this <laughs> sound because I couldn't close my mouth and it was comical. Like I don't, I don't blame them. I, I it was irritating sometimes, but you know, that was, that was the worst that I got was that the, the, how dare my friends try to make me laugh in a time of, of great tragedy for me, you know? And so that's what friends do. (laughs) That is what, that is what friends do. And so I have always looked for the grace. And a lot of that came from the lessons that I learned from Bob and continually learned from Bob. Like he's, he's struggling currently medically and, you know, I'm, I'm watching what he's going through and again, how he's handling it with grace because it's got to be so frustrating for him and to, to witness his partial acceptance, but also um, pushing of experimentation. Like what is the solution? I think that's the thing that I like the most about him too. And one of the things that I learned is he, there's a problem. What is the solution? you know, and how can I be proactive with it? And it just, that was the, that first conversation, 17 years old in his office, isn't this a gift and having him look at now you have multiple solutions instead of one has, has influenced me for the rest of my life. What did work? I don't know which one because we did it. We threw <laughs> It was the kitchen sink. It was the kitchen sink that did it. No, I was, I was, so uh, Bob is a doctor of chiropractic. His wife, Joanne is a doctor of chiropractic who is a holistic practitioner. She's also an acupuncturist. So like with Joe, I was doing laser acupuncture, chiropractic and Eastern herbs and medicines with Bob. I was doing chiropractic. They recommended me to an incredible physiotherapist. So I was doing physio. I was also taking modern medications to encourage synaptic um, regrowth and get neurons firing again. There was, I just, I did so much. And then I was, I, for a year, I was scanned, prodded, poked, and all kinds of weird stuff. And I, I don't know what worked, but it all kind of blended together and did. My face works now. You know, my body You've works got now. Quite I quite a mighty fine hands. face, I have to say. Why? Thank you, Wendy. Um, I, when, uh, when you revealed how old you were, I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> I 
I drink a lot of water and I moisturize and I have a six-year-old daughter who keeps me spry and youthful. And I, I play hockey three times a week as a goaltender. So I'm never off the ice. So I get, I get in my, my physical workouts and it keeps my mind sharp. I think, I hope. <laughs> well, they do say, don't they, that, you know, your, your physical health has a real big impact on everything else. So clearly yeah. it's working for you. It's working for you. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm Thanks. just glad for Dr. Bob and, the, and it's just so heartwarming that you're still in touch with him all these years later. I don't know anybody that has got a doctor that, you know, stuck around that long. So, Well, it's funny because I, again, I've been in touch with a lot of these gentlemen who helped guide me in my early years. Like I still, not as often as I'd like to, but I still talk to my physician, Dr. Spackman. I played in a band with his son for a couple of years. I, you know, Dr. Bob and I, you know, I, I took him when I was, made master of my lodge bob he was the first person i reached out to and asked him to to be at the ceremony so like he he influenced my life so much that i i you know not only do i feel the need to pay it forward because a lot of the lessons that i teach from stage are things that i've learned from him but i also feel a, a an obligation to pay back like I wouldn't have the life that I have. He was the first one to introduce me to self-development. Like I, he bought me a ticket to Dr. John Martini's breakthrough experience. And I didn't understand how profound that would be until later. And I didn't fully appreciate what kind of a gift that was until later in life. But you know, like that's the kind of man that he was. He was like, this is a thing. This is, I'm going to invest in you. And this is a thing that was important for me that I think will be important for you. And that, I mean, that's put me on a path, right? I wouldn't have had the opportunity to speak on Tony Robbins stage in Dallas if it were not for that seed that was planted over 20 years ago. It took the and words we never out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Trained public speaker here. <laughs> Tyler makes some really good points, doesn't he, about uh, using our body language. I'm doing it now. My hand is going and that's okay. And I've even noticed it when I've been stood up in front of people that my hands do weird things. But I certainly don't want to have one hand in a pocket and, you know, like Prince Charles does. But it's a good thing to to be conscious of your energy and whether that's good or bad and how to, you know, stay engaging with your audience. But of course, Tyler has secrets to staying young too. So I'm going to just leave it there, invite you to carry on the conversation with Tyler because he's asked you to do something for the show in return for a copy of his book. So I'll let him end the show for us. If they're willing to give you a five-star review, then I would encourage them to come to seantylerfoley.com. And Sean is spelled the proper Irish way, S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y.com. And they can find out everything about me. They can, um, in fact, if they are, if they really would like, they can even get a free copy of The Power to Speak Naked, which is my number one best-selling book. Next week, we're going to be minding our manners with Christy Spencer. But if you go to a store and somebody, you know, greets you halfway nice, 
somebody else doesn't pay any attention to you, somebody else answers a call when you're talking to them, you're likely to never go back.